Hi everyone, welcome to another episode from Impact by Choice. Today I'm going to have with me a very, very special guest. He is really open-minded and I'm sure that he makes a lot of impact on the people that he meets every day. And he is also an introvert speaker as per his LinkedIn profile. So this is exactly what drew me into having a phone call with him and find more about this style of introvert uh, public speaking. So I would like to welcome Robert Depford. Thank you very much for accepting my invitation. How are you? I'm well, thanks for having me. This is terrific. I love having these kinds of conversations. In our call, we, we debated so many subjects and the atmosphere was so warm that I just felt the need to invite you as a guest because I want to learn even more about you. Since this is called Impact by Choice, I would like to ask you, how do you feel about the power of choice? I think it's everything for people. You know, often um, we feel we fall victim to the circumstances of our life and really we, we can take a step back and, and give some thought to what we can control. And I've talked about this before on some of my LinkedIn posts. When you understand what you can control and what you can't control, you then have a tremendous power of choice to you know, make some decisions to move forward. So I think it means a lot. It's, it's truly important for everybody to understand. Do you think that we have this power of choice from birth or is it any kind of you know, circumstance that instills that power of choice in us? We all have it, right? And it's whether or not we choose to use it. And mm -hmm. some and we have different motivators to use it, right? So, so sometimes you're, uh, you're making a very reactionary choice based on circumstances that have happened in your life. Sometimes you have a goal that you've set, something that's exciting for you, and you can choose to pursue that goal. So we have it. We, we all have the ability. We just have to have the motivator to make it happen. As a speaker, for instance, what is your motivator? What what drives you to use the power of choice in such a way that you can actually impact people that you the people that you are talking to? That's interesting because uh, I never chose to become a speaker. Right? It was one of those things where uh, I, I guess somebody recognized that maybe I had something interesting to say, and uh, and I would get invited to do different things. And and um, you know, I, and I guess for me, it, it's the opportunity to teach. Uh, and when you, have, when you have some interest or some expertise in something um, that you can share that you know will have some impact on, on people's lives, um, that's a big motivator. And especially for somebody like me who is not, uh, who wouldn't be inclined to jump into a public speaking gig uh, mm -hmm. just, you know, just because. I've been doing it for a little while now, and I actually enjoy it now. And it's great to see that you know, if people have, have learned something uh, or have, uh, have felt some of that impact as a result of you know, what I've been able to share. So. You said that it wasn't actually something that you wanted to do. No. Is it anything to do with the uh, type of personality that you expose on your LinkedIn profile, that you're an introvert? And if yes, how did you manage to overcome your stage fear, so to say? 
Yeah, I'm a strong introvert. And for people who understand how that works, you're you know, on the introvert or extrovert scale, um, you, you can fall anywhere in between the I or the E. And, and so there are different levels of, of both. Um, but I tip the scales heavily on the introvert side. And, uh, and so for me, it's not natural to do things that involve a lot of people. Right? I, I like my quiet alone time. Uh, and so to get in front of an audience and do things like speaking uh, is just felt very unnatural and uncomfortable for me uh, mm. initially anyway. I actually enjoy it now and I've been able to get some practice at it and it, it, it's a good thing to do now, but it's not a normal, natural thing for me. Um, and the reason, and I, incidentally, it says introverted speaker on my LinkedIn profile, and that's a relatively new thing that came out of some discussion with some people that I, some clients and some other people that I've been in contact with on LinkedIn. Um, just curious about how I put together some of my videos and, and why I do some of the speaking gigs and things um, and how I make it happen being an introvert. Um, and so we, we talked a little bit about that and people seem to find it interesting, almost fascinating that you could do this and still be an introvert. <laughs> right. Um, same here. <laughs> same here. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so you know this. Um, and for me, I, I think it's important for people to understand that you have the skill set or you can develop the skill set. And being an introvert is just a behavioral style. It's kind of your natural comfort zone. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't do certain things like speaking, for example. It just means that you're not naturally drawn to those things. Mm -hmm. And so um, because it's not, because it's outside of your comfort zone, it's easy to avoid, right? Because there's a fear there. Um, but if you understand that there are ways to manage your natural behavioral style. So for me, it was the recognition that it's about energy management. It's about how I recharge. And, uh, and so I know I need that quiet alone time uh, in order to recharge my batteries and be at my best. So knowing that I can then go and, and attack something like public speaking, having recharged myself beforehand if I'm managing my time well um, and do that and have an understanding too that I can develop that skill I can get through a public speaking gig but afterwards I'm going to be out of gas right. and so I, I then need to find my way back to that that charging station whatever it is right a, a quiet room on my own with a book or something something to to get feeling more like myself again my Briggs categorizes my me as an introvert as well. So I totally relate to what you're saying, even though I wouldn't uh, limit myself to that. As per personality types, do you believe that we can overcome the barriers of these types that, um, you know, scientists put together? Or um, because in my opinion, as in for birth science, if with a bit of work, we can overcome any kind of limitations. What's your take on that? You know, I don't necessarily think that these types are, are um, obstacles, so to speak. Um, you know, we're not, they're not, and I'm no expert on, on Myers-Briggs or any other type of assessment, by the way, but, um, but they're not intended to be labels or boxes. They're really, in my mind, intended to be a guideline that can help you further explore your own self, right, and get some idea of, of what really resonates inside you. So can you, can you stretch beyond what is natural for you? Absolutely, right? Because 
Yeah, I mean, like we were talking about with speaking, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a natural thing for an introvert to feel comfortable in a in a crowded room speaking in front of a bunch of people. Um, but we can do it. We just stretch out of that comfort zone, and with practice, we can get better at it. And I, I think that's the case. However, you look at any of these types of assessments, it's just a guideline. It's not it's not putting us in a box, um, and it's not limiting us at all. You know, it just means that maybe we have to work a little harder or a little differently than people who have natural abilities in these different areas. I totally agree because you you mentioned a few very sensitive words for me: label boxes limitations. That's, that's something I always go for. But I want to ask you something else. We were talking here about, uh, you know, life in general, but what about uh, having this kind of assessments of personality assessments in a business? What do you think? Uh, do you think that businesses should rely on, you know, this kind of results, so to say, right, as per one assessment, when Um, hiring a person, for instance, because there are companies that guide their their culture by these kind of limitations. So what? how do you see that a company uh, could improve these things so that um, the hiring process would be even better for a candidate? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, not not every company uses assessments as part of their recruiting process. But I know we, we do see it, and I, I don't know if it's increasing or not, but we do see it happening out there. Um, and different types of assessments too. Um, and the intention is good, I think, right? Like I think the intention is to have an understanding of, of how a particular candidate might operate and how they might fit with the existing team in an organization. Um, Whether or not you're getting a good, accurate picture of that is, is probably a good question to ask. Uh, because we know that these assessments are, are, are really just these guidelines, we may get a certain result out of an assessment, and some of them are, are pretty good at giving uh, good results, good indicators of what a person might be like. But when you put the person in the environment and you actually see how they operate, that's really the true test. And I've always said, well, that's why we have probationary periods at companies mm-hmm. because you, you, you get the best idea you can possibly get out of that initial recruiting process when you're hiring a candidate. But until they're actually there on the ground and interacting with people and, and you can really see how they fit, um, that's when you really understand whether or not they're, they're going to be a, a, an employee that can be sustained in that environment and if it's a, a good long-term fit. So, yeah, the, the probationary period is the test drive, I think, so to speak. Um, and, uh, and that's probably where you see best uh, how things are going to work. That's fair. But as a career and leadership coach, I would like to ask you, um, do you think that that probation area is actually um, yielding the results that it should? For instance, in the country that I am, that probation Uh, period can be of three months, somewhere yep. between two to three months. But in that time frame, the the new employee, let's say the the employee that is during the probation time, may feel that pressure that in that very uh, time frame they need to deliver some results so that they can uh, move on on the same path, so that 
they are being retained on on the job but on the other hand they there may be not enough time to gather enough information about the process i i used to work in a bpo company so i i've seen plenty of time um things that didn't go that well but i'm just wondering speaking to you right now if do you think that the pressure that a candidate had right in that very moment uh if that impacts their activity during that time i think sometimes people just don't know what they should do if they get an offer and they get hired and they're actually going through the onboarding process mm -hmm. Um, there's there's a certain level of ownership that that candidate has to take to be successful. And, and remember that they're still assessing too, right? Because they could decide at any point in that probationary period that maybe it's not a fit for them and, and they could make the choice to move someplace else or do something different. Right. But there's this idea of, well, okay, how do I survive that first 90 days or, or whatever the probationary period is? And if you don't know, if you're just going in there and kind of, you know, wandering aimlessly and waiting for some direction, that's probably going to be tough these days because we know that companies um, are operating in a very lean manner, manner for the mm -hmm. most part and, and maybe don't do all they would like to do in terms of training and mentorship and things that, that, that would be ideal to be part of that onboarding process. So it's up to the candidate then to go in and say, okay, look, I need to meet the people that I'm going to be working with. I need to be able to ask some good questions, right? I need to, I, I need to understand what the communication style is in my organization. I need to know what is expected of my managers so that I can understand how my work fits into uh, to what the needs of my manager are. Um, all of these things that you, you can set into place for yourself to set yourself up for success um, and get through that, that probationary period. That's an interesting and very, very valid point, if you ask me. Um, I've seen candidates coming on the floor while, during the recruiting process, but we all know that, unfortunately, at some point, you know, some people, some recruiters, some managers maybe even, are trying to actually hide what the situation is on that very spot. So we can say that a candidate can can be put in front of a shallow image how do we as candidates overcome that in the moment that we actually come we we get employed right we get hired and we come to the floor and we find a completely different atmosphere because let's face it the manager can tell the team okay it's gonna be this guy is going to come for an interview, so I'm going to bring them to the floor so he can see the atmosphere. Then the entire team can put up a show, so to say, so that the new candidates see something that may not entirely be true. So that's just a scenario, so to say. But what would you advise a, a possible new employee um, to think about during that that hiring process so to say and how they can be you know prepared um after getting hired how they can be prepared to face some maybe different environment than what they they saw in during the recruiting time there's a couple of different ways to look at this um, so if you, in a perfect world you would have done some company research in advance um, right and this is what some of the advantage of networking can be, 
right? If you're able to network your way into an organization before you even get into applying for an opportunity there, um, then you can get some true insight as to what the environment is like and how people operate and, and what you might expect from, from that company and whether or not they align with some of your values. Um, and, and so you have some idea of that stuff before you even choose to apply there. Um, and if there is no alignment, then why would you apply for a job there, right? It, it's not going to yeah. be a fit. It's a pretty good, pretty good indicator of that. But not everybody is that proactive, so I get that. Uh, so if you're if you get through the application process and you get uh, an interview and you get an offer and you're hired and now you're on the floor and something it, it's completely different than what you were expecting, well then you have to ask yourself, is it worth me staying? Right? Because that that probationary period really works both ways. Yeah, the company can decide you're not a fit, but you can also mm -hmm. decide that you're not a fit for the company. And, um, and if it's not, right, if, it, if it's not a place that you're going to get excited to go to every day because it's different than what you expected or what you were set up to expect, um, then you need to reflect on that a little bit and, and make some choices about how, how you should move forward uh, in a way that's in your best interest. That's right. But, okay, you said about networking your way to, to your future employer, so to say. But we all know that everything it's, comes down to perception, right? So different people um, perceive things in different ways. And maybe what they perceive is not actually the truth. Maybe they just had a bad experiences, experience with one of, of their colleagues at that company. And they just quickly label the entire company with that. But... Um, we still need to, to have the time to form our own opinion, right? Yes. But in the same time, we also need uh, to kind of be prepared and we do not want to waste our time. So if we go and find a different environment afterwards, we actually wasted our time. We wasted the time of the employer and we wasted money for the employer, to be honest, right? Because in the time that we are trying to decide, or they're trying to decide, they're actually losing money. Let, let's face it, right? From a financial point of view, yeah. both parties are losing money. I'm losing my time because I'm going somewhere. I, I thought that it would be nice. They hired me because they thought that I would be a perfect fit. In the end, everything crashes, but we both lost money. So do you see any kind of way that we could, as a whole, the employer and the employee, could avoid this from the interview stage. And I'm not talking about that stage where they're just scanning your resume or maybe not even scanning it. Um, yeah. But I'm talking, you know, after, let's say, from the first interaction. What yeah. would be your advice that you could give to an employer and to a um, future employee? Well, so there's a lot of different ways we could go here, but... Um, one of the discussions you see come up fairly regularly is this idea of rehumanizing the workplace. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think there, there have been a lot of pressures on companies over the years to, uh, to find efficiencies and, and recruiting departments have been no exception to that. Right. So, um, so that's the reason we've seen increases in things like applicant tracking systems and, and, uh, and the automation of the process um, because they're, they're just looking for an easier, more efficient way to try to select a candidate. Um, so, you know, how do, we, how do we bring back that personal touch 
so that there is an opportunity to have that relationship and that, or that interaction and the opportunity to establish a relationship and gain an understanding of that fit piece. Uh, one thing I've seen, and, and some industries do this, not everybody is on board yet, um, but, uh, but my wife is a dental assistant and in her industry, they do working interviews. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, they'll have kind of the formal process that they go through with the resume and, and everything else. But then if they're a candidate that they like, they'll invite them in for a working interview. So you actually go in and you work a shift with all of the people that you would normally be working with in the job if you, if you were hired into it full time. Um, and so you get that, that test drive opportunity, like I was talking about earlier with the probationary period, you get that test drive opportunity to be able to decide, okay, now here I am, I'm hitting the ground running. This is the environment. Do I like it? Am I going to thrive in it? Do I like the people? Um, do these people share my values? You can get through that right in, in the real deal, have that experience. That's that's, brilliant. Yeah. I think that's a brilliant approach. I think it's terrific. I, I don't know, you know, I think there, there would need to be some thought as to how that might work for other types of organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I think there's some room for that kind of approach to grow. Uh, you know, I, I think it, it works well for that particular industry anyway in dental. Yeah, I think, I think there's plenty of room for this to improve, but you also brought up something that's really fascinating to me and intriguing in the same, in the same time. Um, You mentioned artificial intelligence, right? They're trying to make the system uh, pick the candidates in an automatic way. What is your take exactly on artificial intelligence? Because we were also talking about bringing back the human touch in business. Do you think that artificial intelligence would actually take, play, uh, take the place of an employee or do you think that the employees actually will get a real opportunity to develop in a different direction just because the repetitive task will be taken over by a robot, right? And we actually get the, the real chance to develop our analytical thinking, for instance, or interpretation thinking. How do you see this? Well, uh, you know, I think it's inevitable that, um, that AI and automation are, are, are going to have impact on, uh, on jobs. Uh, mm-hmm. We're seeing it already, right? We're seeing, I think it was a couple of years ago now, uh, we had the example of, there's, a, there's a, uh, an autonomous driving company that it's a branch of Uber and it's called Auto. And so they, uh, they're working on developing self-driving transport trucks. Right. And a couple of years ago, they had a test drive uh, where they delivered a truckload of beer, right? With, uh, there, there, was a, there was somebody in the cab of the truck, but mm-hmm. not actually at the wheel, right? Just, yeah. just kind of sitting there and monitoring. So we can see that there are jobs like that. Another good example is what Amazon's doing with some of their uh, grocery stores in the U.S., where there are no more cashiers, right? In fact, there's really nobody in the store. You just walk in and, and take whatever product you're shopping for and walk out the door. And the way the sensors are set up and things, you just automatically get charged to your, your PayPal account or your credit card or whatever you, you have set up. So, wow. so there are examples of jobs disappearing because of technological innovation. 
Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think there are opportunities in that. Uh, and we've seen that in history as, as jobs disappear. There are new jobs that kind of come in and, and take the place, or not take the place of the old jobs, but present new opportunities for people. The trick is how are you going to get trained to be able to do those? Right. That's the piece I think is missing is, you know, we've got an environment now where, where maybe there is a gap in training and mentorship um, in, in organizations currently. Um, there's a lot of reliance on the post-secondary education system to have students coming out that are ready to hit the ground running, and that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so there's, there is a gap there to be filled, um, as, especially as this evolution speeds up because it's quite a rapid change that's happening out there. So, um, so that'll be something that will need to be addressed is that training piece. Okay. And about talking about people again, there's a fear around this artificial intelligence concept, right? Because clearly people fear of losing their jobs. What would be that one message that you would send the people in order to um, make them I don't know, feel a bit more comfortable about this trend? Well, so, so this is a good question. So I was actually speaking on this topic uh, a couple of years ago with a group, and I, I think I scared them because I, I was giving the truck driver example, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and if you're a truck driver, well, you know, do you really want to be pursuing that career for the next several years? Because we can see that there is change on the horizon. Um, and I actually had somebody in the crowd say, Hey, you know, why are you telling us this stuff and scaring us half to death? (laughs) And, um, so see the fear is real. The fear is real. Yeah. The fear is real. And, and and my response was sort of, you know, we need to be thinking about career management in a much more proactive way than we used to. Uh, we need to anticipate what some of these changes might, uh, might bring for us in the employment market. Um, if I know that I can't be a cashier anymore or I can't be a truck driver anymore, well, I can right now, right? But, but maybe in 10 years, I can't be. Maybe that won't be an option. So I need to take some ownership and decide, okay, what am I going to do next? Right? If, if I can't do this, what am I going to do next? And how am I going to plan to make that happen? Have you heard of Arian? If not, you may want to head to Amazon, look for The Man, The Moon and The Gasket. That's my book. (laughs) I know that you will fall in love with the main character and with the person that pops up on the way in order to help him unveil that adventure, which is called self-development. So let me know what you think. Thanks. Right. So that means that each and every person needs to actually consider improvement. Is that correct? Well, I think so. Right. And I I think that goes for anybody in any job because you just never know when you're going to get made redundant or when the robots are going to take over or, or what might happen. Right. Mergers and acquisitions, all of these things happen. Um, that cause unplanned career changes. You, know, right. you have to kind of redirect yourself. So if you can put yourself in a position of, okay, I'm ready to stand on my own two feet anytime, whatever happens, um, 
one thing is you'll have tremendous confidence in yourself, right? So you, you'll know that you're, you're getting behind the wheel of your own career management and you'll have the confidence to move forward. Um, but you'll have some idea too of what's next, what the other options might be, and you'll have a plan in place, some idea of what the roadmap looks like to that next stop. Right. Wow. I like that. <laughs> I like that because uh, as you presented, that means that people somehow will be kind of compelled to look into their own skill set and see where they can improve and what shift they could take if everything anything happens with their their career and that will make them even develop um, probably additional skill sets and make them think that they must or they want to do something additional and maybe at some point they can actually get to that kind of job that they will actually love because uh, to be to be true in this very moment most of the people just go to work because they need they need the income but how many of them actually go to work or work on something that they love so i think that that's an interesting benefit of the artificial intelligence because it definitely makes us look within us and see what we actually want to do well and look you don't have to completely re reinvent yourself right although people do and if you decide that you want to, then that's terrific. Um, but, you know, I can use, take myself as an example. I mean, I started as a radio newscaster. And that was in the days, the early days of the internet. We still had dial-up internet. Um, and, uh, and I could see that industry changing when I first started. We had a lot of con convergence of companies, right? Big, big media companies would come in and buy up radio stations and newspapers and, and make people redundant. And, um, and, and you could see, too, that the advertising market was changing. Mm -hmm. uh, advertising was moving more online and away from traditional media. So the revenue source for people working in traditional media was, was disappearing. And we didn't have as many subscriptions for newspapers anymore. So that revenue source was disappearing. So you could see that change happening. And yet here, here I was with this skill set in journalism. And so now, you know, what am I going to do next? Well, I kind of meandered into marketing roles and some other things. And, and now I'm using a lot of the communication skill that I developed way back then mm -hmm. doing stuff online because the internet is tremendous now, right? We're not on dial up anymore and I can do things like this with you and I can create video right. to post on LinkedIn and it's all still drawing on that skill set that I have. So you don't have to, to make, you know, th this huge change. You don't necessarily have to go find a, an entirely new skill set. You just have to find a way to repurpose the skill set you have. Right, right, exactly. But also you with journalism, you can at some point may uh, have your own magazine, for instance, right? You can start a magazine. You have a skill set and um, an online magazine. Why not? It can, it can yield you pretty good profit or you know, it can take you to a, a different place that you are right now, just a thought. But as you said, yeah, it's not necessarily, you know, reinventing here. But I was, yeah, I was talking about the fact that artificial intelligence make people actually think. And that's yeah. one thing that I want to stress, because we usually take, you know, all the information that we get from the outside, but we kind of fail, unfortunately, at... Um, 
taking that information through our own filter and see what is actually good for us and what it's suitable right for our future and for our wishes why not because we're all striving to have you know a life where we actually enjoy what we do right so yeah. i think that i do have this firm belief that if people start thinking from them for themselves then they by themselves will change the course of their lives yeah it's entirely within your control right and and a lot of it i think is what are the things you value mm -hmm. uh, and and for everybody it's a little bit different and yeah i mean a lot of my focus is on career but what a lot of people don't recognize on the surface is there are other important parts of life that are all working together right and career is just one of them so it's career right. it's finances it's relationships and friends and family and and health and and all of these things all are all components that that leverage on each other um, for you to make overall improvement and kind of become your best self, so to speak, right? Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, these things are all, when you, when you look at them, um, they're all things that we can have impact on, that we can choose to make change on. It's just identifying where we're most satisfied and where we're not satisfied and, and making some choice to make some improvement in those areas. Right, and you brought up that that very uh, word that I was actually hoping that you will bring up, which is the impact. And I want to ask you to change a bit the course of the discussion. What is your everyday thing that you're doing and try to impact other people around you? So, I'm a, I'm an advocate for active listening, and that's that's really part of the foundation of coaching. If for people who who understand kind of the formal basis of coaching. Um, and it's amazing how, yeah, it's amazing how powerful that is. Um, right. And, uh, and, and just having some ability to, to be there, to be present for people. Um, right. there's the impact is huge. Um, and sometimes you don't even recognize it, right? Like I've been in coaching situations with clients where, uh, where they tell me at the end of a session, hey, Rob, you know, there was this terrific thing that we went through and this made a huge change for my life. And I didn't even know we'd discussed it. <laughs> 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 well, and it, it, it happens that way. You, you create this environment when you're a good active listener uh, for people to have that opportunity for self-discovery. So I've tried to do that in, in whatever I do in any interaction with people. Maybe not so much in interviews like this. It's harder. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but, but I like that very much because I'm also an advocate of active listening and I'm trying to spread the word about it. And I'm really, really happy that you brought it up. So active listening is actually your way of impacting each and every person that you get in touch with, right? Because you get a conversation, you carry a conversation with the person and or you just listen, right? Because we're talking about active listening but i i do believe that by by practicing this by practicing active listening you actually allow the other person to as you said to discover themselves but you also create that environment of comfort so that they can actually come to you and tell you everything they have on their mind and in that way the impact i think it's even a bit greater because once they discuss uh, a situation, they can relieve their minds from it, right? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And there's a, you know, it, it's fundamental to building trust as well. Yes. Um, so in my mind too, it's actually one of the most important skills for leadership. Uh, so if you're a, a new leader, one of the best skills you can develop is your active listening skills. I like that. That's very, very well said. Yeah. Yeah. How do you see leaders, by the way? I mean, there's this, um, there are, I think, a few misconceptions um, around the concept of leadership and boss, let's say. Okay, if we compare, um, no, it's um, between manager and leader. So how do you see a leader from your perspective as a coach, as a leadership coach? So I, I have this saying, um, you know, not all leaders are managers and not all managers are leaders. Correct. And, uh, it's, um, and I mean, it, it's true, right? Um, leadership is, is different. Leadership is a skill set, whereas as manager, is, it's a job title. It's a responsibility that's, that's kind of fixed within an organizational structure. Mm -hmm. um, so you might leverage your leadership skills, and I hope you would as a manager, But, um, but you don't have to be a manager in order to be a leader. So, I mean, there are examples everywhere. People that, uh, and, and the definition of leadership is a little bit different for everybody, by the way. But, um, but for most people, you know, it's this idea of, of goal setting, uh, mm -hmm. of, you know, of striving for those goals and, and, and having some achievements, some success, um, and setting an example. And those are things that anybody can do, right? And, and so you can start, you, you can become a leader, even if you're not a natural leader, you can become a leader by just starting out doing these things, serving other people, right? People talk about servant leadership, mm -hmm. um, just being helpful, right? Doing what you can that's, that's within your ability to do. Um, that, that's a great place to start. Anybody can do it. Right. So is that actually the, the, your own definition of leadership or do you have you created your own definition because you you said that for most people leadership means this and that but what is actually your own definition of leadership that was actually my question well i, I think it changes <laughs> i think it changes depending on 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 new things i've learned um uh, and uh, and experiences i've had uh, and people i've met Mm -hmm. um, all of these things have impact on, on what my definition of leadership is. So, so I see people who are doing terrific things, for example, and, and I go, wow, you know, this person is a great leader based on whatever it is they're doing. I need to incorporate that into my version of leadership because I admire what that person is doing. So I want to be like that. And, and so for me, it's, it's observe, right? It's get this idea of, of, what kind of leader do you want to be um, and, and strive for that um, and, and make it work for you, right? It, make it work for you. So for, for me, it's, it's, it's striving for the things that I admire, uh, the things that I want to be, the person I want to become. Um, it's not something that necessarily fits tightly into a couple of sent sentences of definition, right? Um, and it is uh, always evolving. Okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. And in this point where you are right now, what is it that you want to become and what are your values as a person, not as a leader or coach? You as a person, uh, 
what values do you have at core for every action that you do daily? Man, uh, so many, but, um, you know, I think what drives me right now mostly is family. That's, that's a big thing for me personally. Um, so I value flexibility and I value honesty and I value trust and I value kindness and all of those things tend to tie into my, my family values somehow or other. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and that, that drives me in my career too. Um, because I think there are a lot of people that, that I find, at least when I'm looking for people to work with, it's easier to work with people who align with those values. Um, so yeah, those are the, those are the big ones I would say for me. Mm -hmm. You, you said that you have a lot of values that you can, um, introduce in your business and in your personal life, but what would be that one, the most important? Well, I think it's probably trust. Uh, you know, I, especially in my line of work, if I don't have trust between myself and, and the people I'm working with, we're not going to have an effective coaching outcome. It's just not going to happen. Um, right. So there's, there's that on, in a business sense with what I do, there's that building rapport, building the relationship, establishing some level of trust. Um, And so it works, it's very important for me for business, but it's also key to everything we do in our family on the personal side. Um, you know, if, if my kids don't trust me, I've got a problem, right? And, and, and you know this. <laughs> right, I do. <laughs> you know, I actually have this saying that when my kids have an issue and let's say they have a boo-boo, okay? <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm saying that, okay, mommy, but you know that it will pass in time. Do you trust mommy? That's one thing that I think I, I developed automatically. And now if I'm asking my kids this thing, they automatically say that, yes, I do. But they also know that if, I, if I'm telling them something, I always keep my word. So, you know, they're interconnected. Um, but this brings me to something else. What are the core values that at this very stage of... Uh, of bringing up your kids that you, you teach them in order to, you know, become open-minded, uh, grownups. So one of the things we're working on right now, uh, so my kids are, are 10 and 12, right? So they're, um, they're still impressionable. Uh, my 12 year old is getting to the stage where, where I'm maybe not going to be his favorite person in the world for a little while, <laughs> <laughs> but he's still pretty good. Uh, we'll see what the teenage years bring. But one of the things we're really focused on right now is this idea of, of fixed mindset versus growth mindset. Mm -hmm. And um, and really for them, it's a terrific age to be having the conversation around those things because they have experiences at school or, or with their friends as they're kind of developing their social circles. And uh, and they'll share some of those experiences experiences with us and and we can say okay well you know based on that experience do you think you approached it with a fixed mindset or with a growth mindset um and it oh, gets them sad. thinking you can see you can see the wheels turning right you can see yeah. that they're really thinking it through like did i you know was this the right way to to approach the situation did i really make the best of it um did i give myself some opportunity to learn out of this situation Uh, and they're getting pretty good at it. 
wow, that's a very, very important lesson that you're teaching them. Um, do you think that this kind of practice that you're, you're doing, that you're teaching your kids, do you think that this, if implemented in, you know, many families, could it prevent bullying at some point? Wow. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I, I'd like to think that it would be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's so many other factors in, in why kids become bullies or, or adults for that matter. Um, and it's a problem that I know really, I mean, we're, we're working on solutions, but there's a lot of work yet to be done. Um, but I think that this could be part of it, right? This could be part of it because um, if, we're, if we're looking at things as, um, you know, we've always done it this way, right? The, the, that's part of the challenge uh, around, I think, the, the, some of the traditional solutions for problems like mm-hmm. bullying is we'll, we'll look at, at the situation and go, well, we've always done, we've always resolved it by we're going to punish the bully, right? But, but we don't drill down into what's actually going on in the bully's life. There could be other things right. happening that are, are, are part of what, you know, what the challenges are. Um, so by looking at it through that growth mindset lens, uh, we open up a whole new world of possibilities and we give ourselves the opportunity to be curious and to ask questions and to kind of figure out what else is going on in the bigger picture and maybe come up with new solutions. So I think it could be helpful for bullying or any other number of problems that we face right now for that matter. Right. And and that takes me to uh, thinking that actually what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to teach my kids is to understand instead of judging so I think that through this process that you're teaching your kids as well, you're, you're resuming to the same thing, right? Because yeah. we actually should rather try to understand people instead of, you know, being quick to judge them. And that would, if we could do that, that would actually clearly be, you know, a step back from bullying, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we never know what's going on in the lives of other people. We see on the surface what the behavior is in some of these situations, and it's easy to have that knee-jerk reaction. Um, but that could actually be that could be a terrible thing to happen to have the wrong knee-jerk reaction and create even more problems. So by taking that step back, I think, and, and really opening yourself up to the possibilities of what might be going on and understanding that there could be things happening behind the scenes that you don't know about, um, it makes you react in a different way. Probably, you're probably going to have some better outcomes as a result of that. Right, right. I like that. Um, I'd like to ask you one more question. Um, if you had, because we talked about a lot of things, we covered a lot of topics, but most of them have at core the human, the human aspect, the human touch. Um, so my question would be, if you had all the money in the world, how would you see using the power of choice to drive the best impact that you can on, let's say, one cause or more? Wow. Um, that's a really good question. So, you know, I'd like to see, and and there's been a a drive on this locally in my own market too. I'd like to see the end of homelessness. Um, because I think, and there's some evidence on this too, right? If you, if you can end homelessness, 
um, that has impact on a number of other things socially as well. So we look, for example, at uh, if we put a homeless person in a house, well, suddenly things improve elsewhere in their life. They're able to, they're able to find employment or they're able to focus on their health or, and they're, they're able to do other things that, you know, like we talked about earlier, that all these segments that fit together to make up our, our life as a whole, they're able to focus on the things that need the focus. So we take one problem away mm-hmm. and, and it's a big one, the homelessness problem, and we let them redirect their energy onto other things. So I think that would be a big one. Um, there's so many others that I, I mean, we've got environmental issues. We've got all kinds of things going on that, that need attention. That would be one that I, I think that I would, would focus on. And how would you choose to, to support that, that specific cause? What would you I, do actually? For, for me, um, a couple of ways. So what I have seen be successful is providing affordable housing solutions uh, that's a big piece, right? Just getting people under a roof. So I think mm-hmm. there's, and, and so I think there's some tremendous impact uh, to be had there, and also uh, helping these people with employment skills. And that's something that's in my wheelhouse anyway. And I've actually spent some time working with a, a nonprofit organization that works with these kinds of people who have um, employment barriers. Let's say whether it's homelessness mm-hmm. or mental Ill- illness or, or, or you know. Um, other things going on in life, uh, we look at what are the challenges and we look at, okay, how can we develop a unique solution for you to be able to, to gain employment? Because that's a big part of moving forward successfully as well. So That's so nice to offer tailor-made solutions for each person. That's admirable. Wow. I like well, that. I, I think you have to do that for anybody, right? Uh, whether, you're, whether you have any particular challenge or not, I think everybody's unique. So we need a tailor-made solution. That's that's right. That's right. But you know, we're unfortunately living in a world in, in in times where we're trying to do everything, you know, in patterns and try to implement them in all area of lives and on all types of types of people, even though they may not fit them, you know, so that's why I'm saying that is admirable to understand that actually making a tailor made solution for each person it's really important for that person to actually get an um, get a real opportunity to improve their lives, and this is how you actually make an impact. I like that. Absolutely. Okay, thank you very much, Rob, for being with me today. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you, and I'm really happy that we covered so many subjects. And I do hope that we will make uh, we will manage to make an impact on other people. I will be delighted to have another call with you sometime. Hey, you're, uh, you're really easy to have a conversation with. So yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Thank you very much. That's a nice compliment. Thank you. And I wish a great evening. All the best. Bye. Thank you for reaching the end of this episode. I wish you an amazing day ahead. And please, don't forget, smile at life. And life will smile right back at you.